It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Does our attitude really affect the attitudes and actions of others? And if so, why? We'll look at that in our Thought of the Day. And in our interview segment, Joan Endicott will share with us a powerful way of reframing our perspective. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. When you expect someone to act toward you in a certain way, they often will. Not always, of course, but certainly often, even if they aren't necessarily predisposed to do so. But why is that? I mean, isn't that just magical thinking? Something out of the positive thinking, if I just hold it in my mind, it will happen school of thought? No, it's actually much more logical than that. In my book, Adversaries and Two Allies, I wrote that expecting someone to be helpful doesn't change them, it changes you. And that is what changes them. Both for long-term and immediate results, when you want to bring about a response in a person that meets your needs, act towards that person as though that's how you expect them to respond. Yes, approach them believing they're going to want to give you what you desire. Again, no magic involved. I'll explain why this works in, in a moment. But first, let's look at two opposite approaches to a situation and see how they might result. You're about to approach an office worker at your local city hall. His reputation is that he takes pleasure in acting the part of the bureaucrat, goes by the book on everything, and generally makes it difficult to attain satisfaction. In approach number one, you go in with a scowl, expecting to get into a knockdown, dragout battle. Would you agree that you would be met by a person who would be very difficult to deal with? Sure because you're setting the matrix, the premise from which everything else will originate, of a battle. Now, in approach two, instead of the scowl and matching attitude, not only do you put a genuine, sincere smile on your face, but you actually expect that person to be warm, welcoming, and helpful. Do you think he'll have a much different attitude than the person in example one? I hope you said yes, because it happens practically all the time. Not just to me, but to most everyone who does this on a consistent basis. Again, though, why? Why does that happen? Not only is this, again, not magic, it's actually very logical based on the emotions of the human animal. You see, the reason is that by adjusting our attitude, by genuinely liking this person and thinking highly of them and expecting only the best from them, we are acting in that way as well. And if that person is like most everyone else, and by the very definition of the thing, he most likely is, how can he not like someone who likes him so much and expects from him only the best? Yes, this works. It even works on me, and even when I know what the person is doing. I mean, who wouldn't want to deal with people like that? Imagine how we can positively affect our world with this shift in attitude. And Please, before doubting this, I ask you to do it with sincerity several times. I guarantee you'll walk away in amazement, and it'll change the way you approach those normally difficult people. 
More importantly, it will change the results you usually get, and you'll find this makes your actions much more productive and your life a lot less stressful. Speaking of which, in our upcoming interview, we'll learn from an amazing coach, speaker, and teacher how a simple turn of phrase to ourselves can lead to a much less stressful and much happier life. I get to interview Joan Endicott right after this. Let me ask you, would you like to become objection-proof? Would you like to close sales gentler? easier, and more effectively than ever before? Would you like to never again have to discount your prices? Would you like to learn the one thing that motivates every human being to action and the only reason why people ultimately buy? Do you want to more effectively than ever before communicate the exceptional value that you provide to your customers and clients? If you answered yes to these questions, then what you want is to learn how to sell the go-giver away. If you'd like to dramatically increase your ability to influence and sell, then check out my one-hour audio program, Selling the Go-Giver Away. For more information, click the link in the show notes. Joan Endicott is an award-winning speaker and author whose inspiring messages are appreciated universally with audiences ranging from underserved children to sports teams to corporate CEOs. She's founder of Giant Slayer Coaching. Having slayed a few of life's giants herself, she's dedicated to helping others experience the wonderful freedom that comes from refusing to live in the land of the giants, instead living your highest purpose. Few of her many accomplishments that I hope she'll forgive me for bragging about, but it's so difficult not to when you have so much respect for someone. She was nominated numerous years for the Better Business Bureau Integrity Counts Award. She was chosen as Mrs. Idaho International, 1994-95. She and her husband, Mark, married since 1980, were awarded marriage ambassadors by Healthy Families Network, and she was chosen as a 2011 Woman of the Year by Idaho Business Review. Her trademark message and book, I Get To, A Fresh Perspective That Will Change Your Life, is indeed changing lives across America and the world. And when you read the book and listen to her, it's easy to understand why. It also has a wonderful foreword written by Dr. Ken Blanchard, co-author of the classic One Minute Manager. Joan's website, which is joanendicott.com, has all the information you'll need regarding her book, speaking, coaching, and other resources, and many of them will also be listed individually in the show notes, so check them out afterwards. Joan Endicott, welcome, dear friend. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. I have goosebumps right now <laughs> because... I'm always so tickled to connect with you. And when you asked me if I would do your podcast with you, I'm like, wow, what an honor. You have just been such a wonderful example of what you teach, what you speak about, what you write about. You are uh, you exemplify the go giver, my friend. So this is such an honor. Uh, Thank you. Well, the, the honor is is mine. Joan, the book begins with you relating a a very heart-wrenching event. A close friend had been visiting with you, and, well, you tell the story, and how it evoked this big shift in your thinking, really in your entire perspective. Right, okay. So this friend of mine, a beautiful 32-year-old mommy of four little ones, her name's Lori, and she'd been at my home, and after leaving, about 20 minutes later, I heard the loud, constant whir of a helicopter, and went out on my deck and 
looked over and saw they were just shutting the doors on a life flight helicopter. And to kind of fast forward the, the story, going down to the corner, found out that Lori's vehicle had been T-boned by a loaded garbage truck. Oh. And that was her in the helicopter. And of course, everything just changed in my world. I, I went into shock and I was crying and praying at the same time. And um, weeks later, the doctor came into the hospital room and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but this is as good as Lori will ever get. And I said, there's nothing good about this. She's so brain damaged. She can do nothing. She can't take care of herself, much less the children she loves so much. And it was just such a, a time of questioning God because I kept praying for a miracle and couldn't figure out how in the world this could be the, quote, final say in her life and those she loved so much. I mean, she couldn't even recognize her own children. It was just, you know, a disconnect completely. And um, the next morning I was lying in bed thinking about all the things I had to do. And I was really by that time so exhausted in every way, just spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And as I was waking up, I was thinking about all the things I had to do. And I was just like, Ugh, I have to get up, get my kids up, get their breakfast made, get their lunches made, get them off to school and then start all this stuff for work and business and contacting clients and doing this and that. And I was just like, I don't want to do any of that. I'm so tired. I just want to pull the covers over my head and go back to bed and act like the world's going to go into a holding pattern. And something so simple and yet so life-changing such had such a profound effect on me. I simply pictured Lori lying up in her hospital bed unable to do one thing for herself or those she loved. Mm. And across my have to, got to list was I get to. Because I simply thought about if she could jump out of her bed, run down her hall, sure. scoop up her babies, make their breakfast, make their lunches, and then connect with all the clients that you know were on my list she would have done it with sheer gratitude and she would have been so excited and joy filled to do it. She would have never complained. Mm -hmm. And I actually, in that moment, I vowed to God, I will never say I have to, or I've got to do anything again, because besides Lori's situation, there's a few million people every day who would trade places with those of us who right. might be tempted to complain about first world problems like the traffic right. or, you know, not getting their coffee or whatever. And I think, you know, one question we really should ask ourselves every day, if we find ourselves not in gratitude to say, really, 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 what are you complaining about? Because mm. you have water that comes into your house. Right. You don't need to walk a few miles for that just to provide life for your family. So that perspective made me realize that even through crisis, it became so crystal clear to me that I had the power. I was the only one who had the power to choose how I looked at this and any circumstance in my life, even tragedies. Yeah. And this is, you know, in the, and this is where you went from have to, to I get to, and that what, yes. and what a difference 
in perspective. And Ken Blanchard in his uh, foreword, and he, he wrote a great foreword, but he, he talked about seeing so many people engaging in what he called ain't it awful conversations. <laughs> yes. And I get the feeling what you're saying is, you know, you can have those conversations, especially with yourself, but it probably doesn't serve you or, or serve anyone for you to do so, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, this is what's so exciting because I wrote this book many years ago. Actually, I started sharing this story in my keynotes, like within months of Lori's accident. This was back in 2001. So, um, but since writing the story and since talking about it for so many years, I've had so many people talk to me that are neurologists, neurotherapists, brain experts that have affirmed it not only changes us mentally and emotionally, it actually physically changes us. Because when we use words like have to, um, this wonderful friend and expert um, in this field, Dr. Debbie Kim, she's a neurotherapist out of Los Angeles, California, and she has founded the Cypress Clinics down there. And when I was interviewing her a few months ago, she said, when we use the word have to, the phrase have to, mm -hmm. We, there's a natural resistance internally. Oh, it makes sense. So when we say have to, it actually releases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Mm -hmm. So when we say, I get to, I'm happy to, I'm glad to, what an, it becomes, instead of an obligatory, it becomes an opportunity that we are, even our subconscious is saying, wow, I get to do this. So all the feel-good hormones are released, like, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. Those are all released. So it actually supports us from the inside out to be aware of the, using those positive words. And, and even if we're, quote, tricking ourselves to say, well, because I've had people in, in my keynotes when I do a Q&A afterwards, like, well, what if I don't want to? <laughs> I'm like, well, guess what? If you will start telling yourself exactly. the positive, it will catch up. <laughs> exactly. And I, and, and, you know, and I want to, to bring up this point as you, as you brought that up, there's a lot of people who, you know, might say, well, are, are, are you saying just, uh, everything's supposed to be rosy or, or burying our heads in the sand and, yeah, and not acknowledging the yucky stuff of, and that's no, not at all. Mm -mm. Nope. Not, not in any way. In fact, it's in it's in acknowledging what we can fix, change, and control. That's actually one of the really popular chapters in my book is um, I get to let go of that if I can't fix it, change it, or control it. So in those kinds of circumstances, like I was abused as a little girl. I, I went through neglect. I can't fix any of that. I can't change it. But what I can do is I can control how I look at what happened to me and I can look for the gold nuggets or the blessings in that to say, you know what, as a result of that, I'm so much more sensitive to, for example, coaching clients mm -hmm. or underserved children that I speak to. I have a connection to them that I would not have had I not, I would have, I would have sympathy for their situation, but I wouldn't really know what it was like. Right. So it's really that balance of saying, okay, what part of this can I fix, change, and control? And if I can't, I get to let go of it because if we don't let go of it, it will kill us. Just like watching the news or things that are we feel bombarded by in a negative sense, 
that's a good question we can ask ourselves. Well, and that reminds me of something else in the book. And I thought this was very, very, very important because we hear, we often hear about letting go of things in our past that no longer serve us. And, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, of course, very true. But we also, uh, and I know I've done this, we use the term, I have to let go of that. I have to right. let go of that. Mm-hmm. But you say, mm-hmm. no, no, I get no. No. to let go of that. Yep. Explain the yeah. difference, because this is really fantastic. Absolutely. And and that really, part of that goes back to what I was saying about what, what chemicals do you want to be released in your brain mm, and your body? Mm, mm. So if you're saying, I have to let go of it, it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. I'm going to run this race, but before I do, I'm going to, you know, right. I'm going to injure myself. Instead, you're saying, wow, I alone have the power to let go of that. And if I look at it as that's an opportunity versus an obligatory you immediately have a head start. Oh, yeah, yeah. The same thing with I get to forgive as opposed to I have to forgive. So that's wonderful. Now, I have got to ask you to share with us your your ice hockey experience and (laughs) and the shoulder surgery as a result that you got to have. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. And I love, I have a quote at the beginning of that chapter by coach Vince Lombardi that says, we didn't lose the game. We just ran Mm -hmm. out of time. I love that perspective. (laughs) And as you know, in the book, I use a lot of humor and talk about the benefits of humor and laughter. But this has been, you know, when I played, I was in my 40s. And that was the first time I'd ever played hockey. In fact, I had hardly ever gotten on ice skates before. But I had a good friend who her dad and brother's all played hockey and so she decided she was gonna try it and she loved it and she's like oh Joan it's such good exercise it's so fun and all these ladies are so great and I'm like okay I'll try it but seriously by the time I got all the equipment on I was already sweating and I hadn't even gotten on the ice yet uh, but I, I realized why you wear the headbands under your um, the scarves under your helmet because mm-hmm. I was just dripping and sweat. <laughs> this was a, a new experience for me But so what happened one night uh, when we were playing a game, I had built up more speed than intended. And um, I basically launched through all the other gals who were going for the puck. And I, my shoulders hyperextended. I hit the ice on the other side, my shoulders both hyperextended. And I could feel immediately this hot pain in both shoulders, which I knew that was not a good sign. It hurts so bad. And um, the good news is, looking at the positive, I was right there to ice them. Well, that's true, right? (laughs) But um, so I went to the doctor the next day and he's, you know, started checking it out. And so he was like, you know what, Um, we'll start with doing, it's called needling, where you put the needles into the shoulder to break up calcium or, you know, to try to get it to try to get it fixed without doing surgery. So we did that for quite a long time, months, almost a year. And I went back and he said, you know, this is not progressing like you want it to. And I know you're so, you're in pain, it's uncomfortable, you can't sleep, etc. So he sent me to get an MRI. So I'm on the way to the imaging center. And I thought, this is ridiculous. This has been, it was supposed to be this fun, recreational thing. 
and it's been painful and expensive and time consuming. And I was like, to the point that I had tears. I'm just like, this is why did this end up this way? And as I'm turning to go into the imaging center, there was a man going up the sidewalk who was in a wheelchair and he picked up a water. He stopped to take a drink. He picked up a water bottle with his wrists. He didn't have hands. He picked it up, took a drink, put it back down, and he continued on in his wheelchair. Guess what happened to my pity party? Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) And so I thought, you know what? It's all perspective Mm -hmm. because if this guy could trade places with me for my, quote, hockey shoulders, uh, he would do it with sheer gratitude. And that's the power of perspective because perspective, I believe, is the precursor for attitude. Immediately when I had that perspective, I changed my attitude, and that's the power of it. And attitude is 90% of life, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. And, you know, the book is filled with these kind of stories. And uh, there's one at the end, and we're not going to have time for it, but, I, but it's okay anyway, because this is one to read and, 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 and end yeah. the book with, but it's about giving thanks. It's, it's called, I call it thanks for the ride. And when you read yeah. that story, your heart and your perspective will absolutely be uh, touched. Joan Endicott is author of I Get To, a fresh perspective that will change your life, as well as a coach and keynote speaker. Get the book. It's really short, easy to read, and get a copy for everyone you know. It's it's a quick but very, very powerful read, and you might want to just read it again and again and again and make sure her message sinks in. I know I feel better after every time I get to read it. She also mm-hmm. uh, put together a special package of resources for our Go-Giver podcast listeners when you purchase the book, so be sure and check that out at joanendicott.com slash I get to. Now, you can also bring Joan in to speak at your next conference. Again, her website is joanendicott.com, and that and all the links will be in the show notes along with her uh, individual site. So thank you, Joan. Best wishes for continued success as you get to continue your wonderful (laughs) journey. Thank you so much, Bob. I am so blessed that I get to have you for a colleague and a friend and mentor and role model. You are just such a blessing. Main takeaway I received from Joan is that reframing our perspective from have to to get to doesn't mean we're not acknowledging life's difficulties. We're just choosing to see situations in a way that much better serves us and everyone else whose lives we have the opportunity to touch. How do you do in this area? And what advice will you take from the discussion with Joan that you can apply immediately yourself and share with others? Please feel free to write to me at bobatberg.com and let me know. We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, the Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the new expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Manns and my follow-up parable, The Go-Giver Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review, and your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. 
Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.